My name's Will DeFreeze, and this is the Sunday Scaries Podcast, your cure for the Sunday blues. Most love affairs I've had haven't really lasted all that long, especially this type of tryst, the type that only exists during the summer, only to cool down come fall. But with this particular one, it's been a relationship that's lasted so long that I hardly even remember how it began. The sunset swims in the lake, the drunkenly spilled beers, the noticeable change in color between June and early September. Summer love is something normally associated with Abercrombie and Fitch because of LFO. But in this case, Patagonia has my heart. I'm of course talking about Patagonia baggies, the staple pair of recycled nylon shorts that every guy owns at some point in their life. I've become so attached to them over the last 15 years or so that it's become a running joke between my friends that our summer uniform includes a t-shirt, a sweater, and a faded pair of baggies. Each color represents the personality of each person, with all inseams remaining the same, right around about 5 inches. Until recently, I thought we were somewhat unique in our dedication to the garments we've fallen in love with. If you open up any of our drawers on a hot July day, you'll see a myriad of colors. A rainbow of tones ranging from black to seafoam to royal blue all the way down to some pairs with birds of paradise on them. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, look down the next time you're at a bar near a body of water. Underneath the plastic cups holding draft beers, you'll see a swarm of crisp shorts with the trademark Patagonia patch sewn right on the thigh. But these aren't just popular among friend groups living near bodies of water and hikers who live in converted vans near national parks. They've now found their way into fashion in a way that's going compared to Jordans and Bic lighters as per the cut. They said baggies have been quietly popular with outdoor types for decades. They've gained fashion cachet in the recent years as Gorpcore, or the REI version of Normcore, became trendy, particularly in menswear. I only bought mine a few seasons ago because the majority of my Gorpy guy friends owned a pair and I wanted to see what all the fuss was about, the author said. And if you don't know what Gorpcore means, don't worry because the Wall Street Journal has us covered. Gorpcore is named for the trail mix acronym that's short for good old raisins and peanuts. It represents the convergence of outdoorsy gear and everyday men's fashion. Think of technical parkas and backpacks that you'd wear while nibbling on nuts and dried fruit during a, during a hike up the mountain. These shorts have become so popular, in fact, that the Wall Street Journal even recently wrote an article about them where you can find competitor shorts due to the fact that baggies can be so difficult to find and get your hands on during peak times, especially spring and summer. They said, these culty shorts, which come in men's and women's cuts and now retail for $55, have been a Patagonia mainstay since 1982, but what made Mr. Kohler's score particularly valuable is that baggies can be devilishly hard to find. When summer rolls around, baggies in colors like purple, bayou blue, which is just a bright blue, and mango sell out steadily in nearly all sizes. And I must say, they can indeed be hard to find, but that's for good reason. They're versatile. How many shorts can you have that seamlessly transition from the beach to a restaurant without calling much attention to themselves? They pair perfectly with a t-shirt, a polo, a pilly cashmere sweater, or simply a nice tan. And then there's the sentimentality around them. My black pair was with me when I fell off a boat and ruined my first iPhone after a microbrew festival in Petoskey, Michigan. My blue pair were a mainstay in the summer of 2011 and remain in the rotation to this day. And sure, they're a little faded and weathered, but that's kind of why they're perfect. My chartreuse pair was reserved for parties only and were retired due to an exhausted waistband in 2017. I think I had a little too many beers that summer, so they kind of got stretched out. But every pair has a story and every pair has an identity. Do they come without their faults? No, of course not. 
I know the pockets are a little bit too long. I know that spending an entire weekend in them can make your butt a little itchy. And yes, I know that the liner renders them useless for sleeping. But every year when I see the sun begin to set just a little bit later, I get the itch to cover my thighs with five inches of fair trade sewn quick drying nylon. And I don't see us breaking up anytime soon. This spring, as you get back to the outdoors to explore, take bespoke posts on all your adventures with a new lineup of essential Box of Awesome collections for guys guaranteed to upgrade your life. I love Box of Awesome, and I have several boxes from them that I use all the time. Some steak knives, a cocktail mixing kit, even a weekender bag. So whether you're out taming the wilderness or taking your home bar to pro-level heights, Bespoke Post sends guys the best stuff every month. No matter what you're into, Box of Awesome has you covered from styling grooming goods to barware, cooking tools, and outdoor gear. Box of Awesome collects everything for every part of your life. Currently, they've got a few boxes that I like. They have the Revive, which is a travel-sized grooming regimen for looking good wherever you roam, Julep, a southern-born cocktail kit that anyone can appreciate, and Puro, six premium cigars and everything you need in order to enjoy them. To get started, take an easy quiz at boxofawesome.com and your answers will help them pick the right Box of Awesome for you. They release new boxes every month across a ton of different categories. It's free to sign up and you can skip a month or cancel any time. Each box costs 45 bucks but has over $70 worth of gear inside. Get 20% off your first monthly box when you sign up at boxofawesome.com and enter code SCARIES at checkout. That's boxofawesome.com, code SCARIES for 20% off your first box. I recently purchased two new chairs for our all-too-empty patio. They're bamboo butterfly chairs that fold up if needed. It's a modest purchase in an attempt to bring some life to an otherwise lifeless third-story porch. Immediately upon setting them up, I obviously took one of them for a, a little test ride. I had a playlist on, I could hear the leaves of the trees rustling, and I had much needed shade from the 90 degree Texas heat. The dress rehearsal went smoothly, but there was something missing, and that something was a cocktail. I like to keep my liquor cabinet stocked without it being too messy. I keep my staples in there and I kind of get rid of everything else that might be a little low or just something that I don't drink often. But this time around, I looked at everything in it and I felt somewhat uninspired. I wanted something light and spring feeling, but I lacked the inspiration to make that happen. And I know it's a little late to be introducing spring-centric cocktails in the middle of May, but in a world where everyone's default warm weather drink has become an Aperol spritz, I figured it was now or never. Our first spring cocktail is a play on a classic, the White Negroni. I was first introduced to these in April in New York City by a friend of mine when I asked him to be in my wedding. Maybe it was a situation we were in, or maybe it was simply because we drank about five of them each, but they were the perfect complement to fresh spring weather. Food 52 said of these, the white Negroni looks a lot like a martini, and when you take a sip, it also starts to taste like one a little bit too. The gin comes on first, but by your second sip, you notice that it's more delicate on the palate with a soft herbal flavor and a subtly bitter finish. Luckily, making one of these is actually pretty easy as long as you have the ingredients, which is honestly the hardest part of these. The ingredients are as follows. One and a half ounces of gin, which is your choice of gin. I'm really no expert in gin, nor am I really a snob about it. So just whatever you think fits the cocktail. Then you have one and a half ounces of Lillet Blanc, which you can find in most liquor stores worth their weight. You might have to ask where they are, but not as much as our next one, which is a half ounce of Suze Liqueur, which is spelled S-U-Z-E, for when you inevitably ask someone where to find it in that liquor store. And all you have to do is to, in order to get these is combine it all in an old-fashioned glass filled with ice and stir until it's very cold, which takes about 30 seconds, and then you garnish with a little bit of a lemon twist. 
Our next drink is something I actually made a few weeks ago, the Americano. In a pinch when a friend was over, we took an inventory of my liquor cabinet and soon realized that I really lacked anything to mix drinks with despite having the liquor on hand that we needed. But in seeing Campari and Vermouth, we knew we had enough ingredients to recreate a simple Italian classic. Hailing from the 1860s in Milan or Turin, the term Americano seems to be more associated with espresso and water these days, but I can promise you that both will give you a little skip in your step if you make them correctly. So in a highball, all you have to do is combine one and a half ounces of Campari, one and a half ounces of sweet vermouth, and you top with club soda and serve with an orange twist. And if this cocktail sounds a little bit familiar, it may be because you saw James Bond order one in Casino Royale at a hotel in Monte Carlo. Unfortunately, this particular drink needs to be stirred and not shaken, just like we've become accustomed to with James Bond himself. And finally, a relatively unknown drink unless you're a Hemingway reader. It's called the Green Isaac Special. I've been slowly making my way through Ken Burns' Hemingway documentary on PBS, which has obviously caused me to crave a cocktail or two given his affinity for overconsumption. This particular drink was derived from Islands in the Stream. It's a posthumous work that I've admittedly only read about 50 pages of before one of my buddies took the book to borrow it and never gave it back. As one website states, it makes its first appearance with the main character, Thomas Hudson, in a deep sea fishing scenario. The book continues, where Thomas Hudson lay on the mattress, his head was in the shade cast by the platform at the forward end of the flying bridge, where the controls were, and Eddie came aft with a tall cold drink made of gin, lime juice, green coconut water, and chipped ice with just enough bitters to give it a rusty rose color, and he held the drink in the shadow so the ice would not melt while he looked over the sea. The ingredients, like you just heard, are pretty simple. Two ounces of London dry gin, four ounces of unsweetened coconut water, one ounce of lime juice freshly squeezed, three dashes of bitters, and then you garnish with a lime wedge or peel. And making it fairly simple, all you have to do is combine everything into a shaker, give it hell, and then pour it into a highball glass with a lime on it. Enjoy. Squeaky doors, clogged sinks, finicky engines. When things break around the house, you take care of it generally. However, when something's off in the bedroom, you just really try not to think about it. Come on, what are you waiting for? Just take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com slash scaries now. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. A U.S. licensed healthcare professional will walk you through to find the best treatment plan and if medication is appropriate, it ships to you free with two-day shipping and the whole process is straightforward and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash scaries and complete an online visit. Take care of your ED without leaving your home. Complete an online visit today to connect with a healthcare professional and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com slash scaries now and you'll get $15 off your first month. It's really time to take care of your ED and remember, get started today and you'll save $15 on your first order of ED treatment. That's GetRoman.com slash scaries for $15 off of your first month. It might be a viable side gig. What's your plan if everything goes away? You won't be able to support yourself with that. These things and more were all said to me a few years ago when I decided to venture out on my own professionally. And these things weren't just said to me by friends or family looking out for my best interests, but from former coworkers who I'm glad I never listened to. I'd venture to guess that no one's professional trajectory could be considered actually traditional, despite what we're taught. Because at an early age, we're taught that there's a certain path that you need to follow. Get good grades in high school, apply to multiple colleges, get through college without an abomination of a GPA and you'll probably be all, all right. 
get internships, find a job, work your way up, and maybe, just maybe, when you're in your early to mid-30s, things will start to look up and you can actually make some real money in life. But whether it be through experience, circumstances, or just tough luck, it's evident for most of us that the path that we're taught may not be the path that we're looking for. I learned this earlier than I would have liked to. Unfortunately for me, however, I've always had a decent uh, little knack for navigating around things I don't want to do or just can't do for that matter. Like internships, like applying and interviewing for just jobs above my pay grade, like following that path. For my entire professional career, I've always tried to play with kind of a chip on my shoulder. I'm sure this has bit me in the ass every once in a while, but I think having that built-in motivation helps me succeed a little bit more. Being told that my chosen path is, quote, maybe a viable side gig or that I, quote, won't be able to support myself, well, those things have obviously kind of stuck with me. And if they didn't still think about them to this day, I don't think that fire would burn like it does to ensure that I can prove those people wrong. I've been a part of several teams when it comes to work. And yes, I'm putting air quotes around teams because sometimes they're everything but teams. Myself included, people are inherently selfish when it comes to professional success. I'm glad that I found myself surrounded by people I trust and that they trust me, but that hasn't always been the case. That selfishness really seems to rear its ugly head when the shit really starts hitting the fan, when benchmarks aren't getting hit, when money isn't coming in, and when the stress boils over. And like I said, I'm sure I've been selfish in these situations just like other people have been. If you're not fending for yourself, there's a good chance that no one will pick up the slack for you or fend for you in, in the first place. But those initial quotes still stick with me for some reason. People that I worked for, people who saw the talent in me at some point, urging me to alter my personal path because they didn't think it was viable, it just never sat well with me for obvious reasons. It took me too long to realize it, but my parents were always supportive in ways that I took for granted. I'm not sure if it was intentional or not, but my dad always had a why can't you attitude when things uh, seemed maybe a little too far-fetched for me. You can't just do things like that, I'd respond to him when the discussion turned into something I didn't think was feasible, but a lot of the time, I've realized that I think he might have been right. But with all the naysayers in my life, their unfortunate tidbits of advice are the ones that I've stewed on more than the good advice that I've actually received. And frankly, I, know really, I no longer really hold any sort of relationship with those people. Sometime in high school, you're taught evergreen sayings that stick with you. It's not what you know, it's who you know. Work hard, play harder. But the one thing you have to be most aware of is never burn any bridges. It's just kind of ingrained in you by people because they don't want you to make a mistake that you're end up regretting. What I've learned is that sometimes these bridges, the ones that we're supposed to maintain at all costs, they really lead to nowhere. And not like really in the me against the world type of person because I think that people who have that mentality are more selfish than not. I'm forever indebted to people who have helped me for no other reason than that they're kind. And just because you aren't on my team doesn't mean that you're against me. But when it comes to those bridges that you aren't supposed to burn, I've now kind of realized that spending time maintaining them is worthless to both parties. My career choice is different. It's uncertain, it's constantly changing, and it's something that some people can't get their heads around. And I'm sure some of you can apply this to your careers as well. But I'm namely talking about those people who tried to steer me away from it. But unfortunately, I can't just forget what was said in those raw moments when I needed support rather than realism. I tell myself not to think about those things a lot. Why let them own real estate in your head? Why care about what people think if, I don't, if they don't have a vested interest in your future? Why not just forget about them? And all I can do to make sense of those extremely valid questions is that I'm not really sure if I want that chip on my shoulder to go away. I like proving people wrong. I like surprising people, especially those that I don't necessarily like. But most of all, I like being my own number one fan, something we should all be no matter what path we have chosen in life. 
So while I may not be dowsing these bridges in gasoline and lighting them on fire, I ask myself, if one of those bridges collapses, am I willing to resurrect it? And most of the time, that answer is pretty simple. Probably not. If you liked what you heard today, make sure to subscribe, review, or tell a friend in need about this podcast. By subscribing, you guarantee that each and every episode gets delivered directly to your phone every Sunday morning. You can also follow along on Twitter at Sundayscaries and Instagram, which is at Sunday.Scaries, or you can follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at Will DeFreeze. And remember, always trim the wicks on your scented candles. See you next Sunday.